You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode five of the Microsoft Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Chris Sportlick, a principal technical architect at the Microsoft Technology Center in Boston. Hey, this is Christian Buckley with another Microsoft Buzz Chat interview. And I'm here with Chris. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, Christian. How's it going? Pretty good. So uh, people that know, don't know Chris Bortlick, why don't you introduce yourself? Great. Yeah, sure. My name's Chris Bortlick. I'm a principal architect at the Microsoft Technology Center here in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been with Microsoft about 12 years. Uh, my entire focus has been on our productivity platform. So things like SharePoint uh, and so the Office 365 and security and compliance and getting more and more into the power platform these days as well. Yeah, I think you, you can't escape that. It's, it's happening. It's, uh, it's the, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, you think about the evolution of uh, the SharePoint environment and, you know, intranets and collaboration technology in general and the drive towards the, uh, uh, you know, end user productivity and, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the ability to go in and solve your own problems. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, so it's no surprise that we'd see then the rise of Power Apps and, and Power Automate with Flow and, and kind of all those kind of capabilities. I mean, what, that's where we're seeing the most end user, like user group growth, like is in that area, the most interest. I don't know what you're seeing in Boston. Yeah, so we're certainly seeing a lot, a lot around us in SharePoint Saturday and SharePoint user groups, but also doing a lot with Teams. We're actually launching Teams Thursday here in New England uh, up in the spring, so continuing the alliteration. So we'll have a Teams Thursday going on and That's working right. with Joel, Anders, uh, Joel Olson and Mark Anderson and Julie Turner and a lot of the great folks in the community, Bob German and others, to kind of launch that. Uh, but yeah, doing a lot with the Power Platform. And, and like you said, this is really not a, a new trend in IT. Um, I've been in IT about 25, 26 years now. And remember things like Lotus Notes and Access and Excel. And so that's how SharePoint, and kind of you and I got into the space, right, with SharePoint servers under the desk and some of the, the shadow IT in that way. And, and now really kind of the Power Platform has become a bit of the, the evolution as InfoPath and Access Services and other SharePoint design or other citizen dev type tools kind of, you know, right off into the sunset and Power Platform's taking its place as a successor to a lot of that. Well, you know, a lot of this community surveys and things that have been done out there where you start to now ask, you know, people that still own you know, IT organizations that are, are thinking about, hey, we want to be able to support our end users, the citizen development, let people co guide, kind of solve their, all pro their problems rather than have to come to us to build something for them. Uh, which is great, but then the number one concern is then security compliance, you know, that kind of stuff, but those kinds of solutions. I mean, so how do you, I mean, you mentioned that as kind of part of the focus. That's an important part of that aspect. When you go into an organization that has those fears, I mean, how do you start that conversation? Yeah, and one of the benefits that I have is before I joined Microsoft 12 years ago, uh, I was an enterprise architect and a customer for 14 years of Microsoft. Uh, so I worked in financial services for nine of those 12 years and I'm used to that security and compliance and kind of governance thing, you know, being part of a large regulated uh, customer. Do a lot still with financial services, but also government and uh, healthcare and retail manufacturing. So to your point, we, we see it a lot. And, and really, you know, it, it's a balance between empowering users and, and locking them down. And now more than ever, as you know, if we, we lock things down too hard with NIT and we over-govern and we over-secure things and we over-put you know, put up these barriers, we're really encouraging folks, unfortunately, to embrace shadow IT, right? Get the right. credit card out, 
go yep. spin up some other servers that we have no visibility into. But, uh, people are like water running downhill. I mean, it, you, you put you put an impediment in their way, they're just going to roll around it. They're going to go find a way to get their work done. If you're measuring people on getting work done and it, you know, it, IT becomes a roadblock to getting that done, of course they're going to go around IT. Yeah, and it's really about how do we take and make IT the hero and remove IT from being the blocker to being the enabler. And, and in some cases, we're working directly with the lines of business that are maybe pulling things along and they're, they're going IT and saying, we need a solution like this. And again, it's not just Microsoft, it's others in the industry doing similar things. In other cases, IT actually being a bit more proactive. Um, I have two customers coming in next week, actually, that are, are trying to embrace the power platform, but that want to do it in a smart and governed way. And they want to become educated, not only how to build solutions, but how to govern them, how to think about data loss prevention, how to think about environments and containering uh, so containerizing some of the applications to different people, different permissions, uh, but also then thinking about how do we advertise this to our business uh, partners? How do we create a center of excellence? How do we create a community? So you and I both do a ton in external communities. How do customers build internal communities? And again, we've seen this before with, with SharePoint and other tools where IT can't support every business user in every use case. So how did SharePoint get to be so successful? by building communities externally and then building communities internally. And again, we're seeing that same trend as you mentioned, Christian, with the Power Platform. Well, you know, but uh, I know we gloss over some of that history with SharePoint and it was excruciating for a number of organizations that didn't, you know, first and foremost, start with kind of governance in mind and say, you know, what are the best practices? What are the right way to do? What's the right way to do this? What are the right ways to go and create those containers? Because one thing, a mistake that was made in the, in the SharePoint days that you don't want to repeat is this idea of go and build it one way, one set of rules for everybody across the organization and say, there you go. Because again, that's where shadow IT will pop up. If you, if you do something, and, and, and as you said, you put uh, barriers in place, you make it so controlled, so locked down, people will go out that side of that system. Well, you can have these wonderful platforms and even something like you know, Microsoft Teams where you know, I love Microsoft Teams. It's it's not perfect in its you know functionalities, like but very flexible in what it allows organizations to do. But a lot of organizations went right out and immediately locked it all down. And you know, only no IT can create, it. create right the provisioning process and all that. And it's uh, and so what happens is is that you know people then default at other solutions, and you start to see other competing solutions popping up inside of organizations again. And, and Microsoft has thought about these scenarios. I mean, they're, they're, they learned the lessons of, of SharePoint and, and that there's not one way to do that and, and tried to make it very flexible, role-based uh, flexibility as well as your, your ability to go in like per team and, uh, and, and give them the ability to kind of self-manage themselves. Yeah, another common thing, I know you just did something recently around external and sharing and guest access and you think about even just some of the basic fundamentals or organizations are still becoming comfortable with the idea around inviting guest members in or allowing external sharing of files. And, and you know, one of my favorite stories is just customers that would tell me, um, this is mainly CorpCom folks back in the day, you know, three, four years ago, that would take their laptop, they would disconnect from the corporate network, they'd go downstairs to Starbucks, they'd get on the Wi-Fi, they'd turn off VPN, they'd go to Box or Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever, and they'd upload the, these massive files, and then they go back upstairs and, and with a cup of coffee and do their work. And I'd ask them, how many times a, a week or a month do you do that? Like, that's three times a day. But why? Because the IT group was locking down external sharing 
in SharePoint or OneDrive and not letting them share these large files because they're worried about people oversharing or missharing, which again are not you know invalid concerns. But what have you done? You've you've encouraged kind of the whack-a-mole phenomenon, right? Where people are now going out and using other tools that you, you don't sanction, you do you can't manage. And again, the same pattern that we saw with Access and Lotus Notes and SharePoint, we then saw the, the same mentality being taken to Teams and and out of the Power Platform, where it's people I think are just yeah you know they're maybe not as comfortable and don't understand the capabilities yet, and and some of it honestly has been the maturity of the platform. And as you mentioned, we keep uh, you know taking customer feedback and, and making improvements in the platform. And that's one of the things that I love about Office 365 and the Power Platform is unlike when we did SharePoint on premises it wasn't wait three years or five years to get to get an update, right? And then wait a couple of years for you to roll out the update. It's, hey, we're listening to your feedback and user voice. We're talking to you in the community. No, we're so, looking but at Chris, here's the scenario now, like uh, in this scenario, like wait just a second here. Yeah. Wait, something just changed on here. Hang on, look. Whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah. something just changed again. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. It's the opposite, right? <laughs> different, different problem there. Yeah. It, it, is, it is, and that's what makes it so 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 challenging. I tell customers, I say, look, when you're moving into the, the cloud, whether it's Office 365 or Dynamics or Azure, it's not, you know, how do we go ahead and, and you know, eliminate people in their roles? It's it's repurposing what they do, and, and now instead of patching and doing backups and all that, we're maybe retraining and reskilling some of these folks to do things that are more, custom to the business and more higher value add. And maybe these people are building some of these citizen developer apps where maybe it's not the line of business. Maybe it's a power user in IT or it's a business analyst or it's a junior developer or someone that might have some some ability to build but aren't, aren't writing things in C Sharp and JavaScript and aren't you know a pro dev as well. So I'm seeing a lot of that as well where we're taking people that are used to doing X, Y, and Z tasks and we're reskilling them and redirecting their energy into doing things around the power platform and governance around Teams and O365 as well. So, so I want to go back to, so I, we kind of jumped to a, a slightly different topic, but go back to that, that question about, you know, was you go in and talk with, with customers and I'm sure the majority of them, one of the first questions they asked is about the security. What is Microsoft's, you know, recommendations for, you know, knowing that we're concerned, we're in a, somewhat regulated industry or space or we're in a very competitive environment and we're worried about our end users out uh, you know putting uh, you know content out in a place where you know intellectual property could you know uh, uh, be misplaced be misused abused whatever someone leaves the organization what do we do but when you start to have that conversation about let's talk about teams um, because that is where a thrust of the effort is now that Microsoft in the collaboration space is focusing. Um, so how do you start that conversation about what's, because I don't think Microsoft is going in there and say, okay, lock down all provisioning of uh, new teams. Right. Like, no. Um, so how do you start that, that conversation with that security compliance and governance in mind? Yeah, and this is where over the last you know four years or so since I joined the Technology Center, uh, I spent a lot of time just on security and compliance because we found that a lot of the blockers of people using the technology they bought was was this concern around security and compliance. And when it was on premises behind my firewall on domain join machines, I could very tightly control and manage and lock down who could access what from where. So what I usually have been doing, and I've done this at the last few SharePoint conferences and Ignite, is actually I do a session on securing compliance. And we start to actually do a whiteboard exercise where we say, let's look at you know, who the people are, let's identify people in groups of people and what roles and permissions those folks need. We start to think about the location of those people, are they on network or off network? Are there certain countries we should be doing business in? We then think about our device requirements. Is it a managed device or a non-managed device? Is it a trusted device? 
what application or service are they accessing? Do we have different policies for OWA versus SharePoint versus Teams? Ultimately, what we're trying to protect is, is the content. So how do we classify and label the content? It could be a, a document, like a Word document. It could be labeling a, a team or a SharePoint site collection. We actually apply a classification label to that. And then based on going from the identity to the location, to the device, to the app, to the content, we then think about things around conditional access or limited access, right? So do we challenge you with multi-factor? We think about threat intelligence and potentially risky behavior like impossible sign-in, uh, possible travel type reports or using tour browsers. And then lastly, we think about auditing and visibility. And how do we take that telemetry to actually give us the ability to get visibility hopefully proactively as well as reactively. You said the word telemetry. I'm going to take a drink here. So <laughs> that's just, it's a running, it's an ongoing drinking game. That was the first time in 10 minutes. So that wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Absolutely. No, no, no you, you're spot on. So, so again, it's really just thinking about that. And what I like to do with customers and in my role at the technology center, which I really like, we have about 50 technology centers across the world, 15 in the United States. And I tell customers, look, we're not free. Uh, you're investing in Microsoft, but really the, the key role, right, of the MTC is helping customers to actually, again, take the generic, uh, you know, platform, the generic products, and actually spend a day or two or more with customers, understanding their use cases, their scenarios, their requirements, their their regulations, and then doing a whiteboard exercise, and then making recommendations and doing targeted mapping, and then oftentimes those recommendations are then working in hand with a partner that might be a systems integrator, might be an ISV, which is how you and I met each other back in the day when you work for a few different ISVs that are building compliance and control and governance tools. So working with customers, again, take this, this very broad platform, understand the customer scenarios, and then map it back to them through really a, a, a mutual discovery process, as we call it, where we're understanding the customer scenario, we're trying to share our perspective, and then trying to do a map between, because it's not a one-size-fits-all, and, right. and yeah, we may think it's, it's great to have everything wide open, customers may want to lock everything down, and we often try to find that center ground where we identify Maybe we don't lock it down for everybody, or maybe we automate some of that provisioning and that automation around expiration and attestation of membership and all those other things that are ultimately really what the core concern is with that customer. It's information leakage, it's having still content, it's having content that's not governed, and maybe there's different ways now in the platform that didn't exist five years or 10 years ago when they created those policies. But it's, it's um, you know, a couple thoughts here. Is it like one, I mean, the, the only place that I'm just thinking, you know, historical, like a parallel is that when you had people going in and doing that, like that level of granularity of going in and reviewing back in the on-prem days, it was the capacity planning people that were looking at, you know, actually owning those servers and ensuring that they were, you know, uh, remain operational as, as, it, as it grew we don't have to do it to that extent anymore um, when you're talking about the cloud. It's kind of that's managed. It's part of what the service um, provides is in that scalability, but it's that. Yeah. Not worrying about level. boundaries around site collection sizes and file right. size limits and all those things. Right. Before, right. It's like, but you know, but what you're, you, so is the platform powerful out of the box? Sure. And, and do you need to have like some, you as the administrator of it have some, you know, uh, basic understanding of the the controls the 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 guidance that you can provide to your and you say, yeah of course all those things but if you're in a more regulated industry and you need to be able because it, it's not like if you go out of the box and just turn it on it's completely you know unsecure like no by default it has so much of that built in and in place but as you start adding more complex scenarios, there's especially bringing external people, because you can, right off the bat, you can say, hey, we don't know yet, we're learning this thing, 
no external users across the board, and then add those things in as you understand and, and go and put the, the proper you know, uh, guidelines in place and, and, uh, and processes around that. Um, but you do have out of the box more granular control. You don't need in every case, like it used to be with SharePoint, if you want any of that kind of controls, like you couldn't do it with SharePoint. You had to go third party solution to do a lot of those things. And so there's so much more that's now available out of the box, but it can feel overwhelming to be new and come right in and, and do that. But there's, I don't think that should scare organizations that they should, you know, understand that, hey, look, there are some basic things that you can do right up front. It's very, very secure. Um, but then as you get more granular and want to be more open for other groups and other scenarios, then there are options for you to open that back up even wider. So well, that's where I get into is we, we always talk about like change management and how do we put potentially different people into different groups. And so Microsoft, as you know, have had a history of, of dog fooding and drinking our own champagne, and we now call it elite. Who doesn't want to be elite? Is that, is that what you call it? Is like drinking your own champagne versus yeah. eating your own dog food? Yeah, it's, drinking it's champagne, like drinking wine. It's a little bit <laughs> more palatable to, to folks that eat eating yeah. dog food. But it, Very we now call it the, yes. yeah, yeah we, we now call it the elite program, right? So people are elite, and they're opting into trying out new scenarios. And I tell customers, well, think about you know, how do we put different people into these different programs? That, that's your change management. That's your, your champions program. And right. how do we leverage that by putting people into groups, either statically or dynamically, you know, either based on a, an attribute or based on some sort of workflow or, you know, you, you watch a video, you take a quiz in Microsoft forums and we grade it and we put you into the appropriate group. And then you get early access by, we can enable or disable the service either doing group-based license assignment. We can put you into an appropriate group that says maybe you're allowed to do external sharing while we're learning how this is all going to work. And then we can go through and review and validate our procedures, get comfortable with the audit log, and get comfortable with the things. Because as you mentioned, it, it is different than, than how people might be used to doing things is a blurring of roles and responsibilities. Well, and then there's good. I, I was just going to say that so you, you said something about, you know, it's really, it's about change management. I'm just here. I'm, I'm working with the you know, current client and, and, you know, talk all about change management. It goes back to my days, you know, working with that, that Woburn company, uh, you know, former, probably know those remember Acceler. Yeah. Um, and I would make the argument, I have tons of writing that are out there that would talk about, it's like, it's not a, it's not a one-time migration. It's not a one-time deployment. There's no such thing as one time. It's an ongoing change management effort. You're moving massive amounts of data between servers today, between servers in cloud the next day, and then back and forth and refining and bringing in new data and refining and moving things over here and new users in, old users out, you know, all those things. It's constant. It is a change management scenario because your business doesn't sit still. The technology doesn't sit still. Um, the needs of your users, the maturity level of users, you know, coming in that have been there a while, all of those things are constantly changing. And so it, that, that's the new role. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not out there doing, you know, permissions management in it. I'm a change management expert for the platform and I own these scenarios. Um, anyway, that. yeah, and that's one of the things that I've been doing in the last couple of years. I started to, to blog about this cloud adoption journey, right? We're basically looking at customers and game broadly, like any maturity model, if you would, and categorizing customers into one of three phases. Uh, you know, and it's not a, a linear where you're just going to go through it once. You're constantly reevaluating, going back through as you 
bring on new people as we change the platform, as we add new capabilities. So Teams was a good example. Project Cortex is going to be a good example in 2020 as we add new services. But you're thinking about envisioning and creating your vision for what's possible. You're then doing your, your core onboarding where you're migrating, you know, users and content and what have you. And then the third phase is really that, that you know, yeah, I don't use digital transformation because that's another drinking game and, and buzzword and cliche, right? Yeah. But yeah, process transformation and change management and thinking about it's more than just moving users and files to the cloud. It's really thinking about how do we change, how do we work, and how do we how do we collaborate? How do we think about working in, in a different way? Because if you're just lifting and shifting 20 years worth of IT from on-prem to the cloud, you're really not taking advantage of the platform. You're not taking advantage of new and different ways of working that might appeal to a, a newer you know, generation in the workforce that is used to using tools, you know, like Teams and Slack and Zoom and Box and Dropbox and whatever else that's been out there uh, that's used to working in a different way than some of these more traditional companies have been. You know, I would never use those other products that you mentioned. I don't even bring up their names. I don't I, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's embracing the reality of the world that we're in, right? It, it's not a one size fits all. It's not a Microsoft only world. And that's where, to your point earlier about the power platform, that's one of the things that I love is, you having that ability to build applications with connectors too, 280 plus Microsoft apps. And yeah, there's premium connectors and I'm not gonna go into the licensing and all of that, but again, InfoPath and Access and SharePoint Designer are really very tightly coupled with the Microsoft platform and with SharePoint, the Power Platform enables us to potentially build applications that bridge non-Microsoft apps, right. bridge on-premises, not just the cloud. So again, it is a very different world where again, it's not, us expecting you to use just Microsoft and just Microsoft tech. Well, and that was always the, the, the problem. I mean, back in the Steve Ballmer days, uh, you know, I, I, so I, right at the end of his tenure there and, and I, I'm trying to remember what it was uh, specifically that he talked about, uh, you know, he made some comment about um, while I was still with Microsoft, you know, made some, so this was 10 years ago uh, or just over that made some comment about how, um, uh, you know, we won't use this other, you know, technology. And it may have been, I think, on the dynamic side, the CRM side of that thing. So I'm like, well, I said, then you just cut us off as a company from the vast majority, the large super majority of businesses out there because no one is using uh, our CRM product yet. And, uh, and I just thought that was foolish. I said that the, the, it was a fallacy to think that any organization said, hey, we're like a Microsoft stat company and that's all that we use. It's never been true. Maybe in IT and they, the EA that they were going by, but the reality on the ground was that end users have always gone around IT to get the technology that they need. It's just become easier and easier to do that. So when Satya started talking about, and you know, the language that he used at his first keynote, the partner conference, so what, four or five years ago, he made the, the comment, he says, we're going to build the best software. It was a regular Microsoft line, you know, best software on every desktop in the world, kind of blah, blah, blah. But he said, you know, where we don't have the best solution or any solution, we will work with the best technology out there. And that was the one where uh, part of the keynote, he was using an iPad or an iPhone and they, they, a bunch of other people were shocked by some of this other uh, you know, the Apple technology or Google mentioned, you know, within these keynotes. And he said, look, our, our position is that our end users need to go and do these things. Here's the continuum. We might be the best in this category, in this category, have a solution here, but not do the other pieces. We still have to think of our customers and what they have to do end to end, not just the pieces that we own. And if the experience 
is terrible moving between our solution and these other competitor solutions that fill that gap, we have failed as an organization. And I, and I, mean, I look, I say we, it's the Queen's we, because as a partner, we, yeah. I mean, we're part of that, that ecosystem, but yeah, it's exactly right. You have to look at what is the end user trying to accomplish uh, I'm also like such a, a you know a solution sales guy when I do this not a sales guy, um, but you know at the end of the day, customers have to accomplish their goals and you're going to sell more if your solution is able to help your customer achieve that. If you're just another obstacle within that, they're going to go elsewhere for that technology. So I think you know why you see Microsoft Teams. I think one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons behind it, but why you see this hyper growth of Teams. Um, just huge numbers around that and it's going to continue to grow at that escalator rate is because of that you know inclusive approach to technology and that ability to work with and connect with and I mean the deal with uh, you know the open data initiative you with Adobe and SAP was huge I actually think Microsoft of the three companies is probably furthest behind doing the least in that arena my opinion like but it just speaks to the opportunities that are you know, available when you open that up and say, hey, we're going to go and create, we're going to compete. Man, I'm soapboxing, soapboxing sorry. but uh. No, that's okay. But you look at the investments we've made over the years with um, you know, certainly op open source and acquiring GitHub, you know, building a Teams client on Linux, embracing yeah. iOS and Android, you know, having, a win having a Microsoft phone, rather a Surface phone next year, or this year now that's going to be running an Android OS, you know, using the Chromium engine, you're right, yeah. using the yeah, Chromium yeah. engine with inside of uh, Microsoft Edge as an example, right? So it, I think it's a much more realistic world that, that we operate and live within. I'll say this. I want the folding phone, but call me when I can fold it twice and get it smaller into my pocket. I want to yeah. fold it over multiple times. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But four, four, pull into a little cube, right? That's right. That's right. No, it, I, there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton that's coming out. I think Microsoft is, uh, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, I, like, as you know, I mean, MVP community is one of the, you know, we're, we're MVPs and yet we're, we're some of the most vocal people when Microsoft screws up or they're lacking something. I mean, you see when there's, especially when MVPs hear about something in advance, the GA happens and that certain features are missing and we all know it. Mm -hmm. And you've <laughs> given us the feedback before that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I won't, won't bring up any specific examples because I can't because it's under NDA. That's part of the, the, the point. But, uh, you know, I, I think there has to be some people inside Microsoft that has a little bit of sadistic, like they'll uh, announce something early just knowing that it won't be there and then sit back and laugh when people like, what's going on? Where is that? But, I'm just saying that because that's what I would do. Uh, but <laughs> well, I'm not, so I'm, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to touch that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Chris. So I mean, people want to. So what's let's kind of wrap things up to talk about like so your role there at, at uh, in, in Boston and what's available through these. How many you said? 14, 15 in the U.S. in North America. Well, so 15 uh, Microsoft Technology Centers in the U.S. About 50. 52 or so worldwide uh, technology centers. And each center is a little bit different. Um, in the US, we're fairly standard in that um, certainly our facilities have multi-purpose rooms, which are, are usually in the same building as the MTC. So uh, in Boston, it's on the first floor where we allow user groups like the SharePoint user groups, the Office 365 user groups to host you know, meetups during the week. That's where we run SharePoint Saturdays and yep. Teams Thursday type events. 
Um, then in our facility on our fourth floor, we have a number of briefing suites and, and uh, design suites that will actually do uh, strategy sessions with customers. We'll do design sessions. Uh, we'll do hands-on workshops. We'll do rapid prototypes as well as hackathons. We spend a lot of time with customers now doing ideation and hackathon sessions. Uh, we have an immersive theater that we call the Envisioning Center that allows us to walk through our day in the life of different personas, a, a mobile person, a home office person, a person working in a, in a corporate office with maybe a surface hub in the meeting room. Uh, and we are able to kind of tailor that uh, to a customer or to an industry scenario. So really the best way to get engaged with the MTCs uh, is really through your account team. Um, we, are, we are a shared resource, so we're booked much like consultants are, where there's a, a bit of a lead time and a process to, to get a customer into the MTC. But you know, we love hosting the communities, the user groups. We do a lot with nonprofits and the Boys and Girls Club and Girls Who Code and schools and others to try to get more interest around uh, technology programs across the board. So we, we really you know, love to engage with the community here uh, as well as work with our customers and partners. I know I've participated in events in, so in Boston, in D.C., in Chicago, in Silicon Valley, where we've held advance, events at each of these. Uh, I know Denver has done uh, recently a few different events and stuff. And so they are tremendous resources. And if you live near one of the, uh, the Microsoft MTCs, then you definitely want to uh, plug in and be aware of the events and things that are kind of, kind of coming through. I know certainly like we're, where I am, Salt Lake City area, I mean, we have a sales office. And they're actually, I think they, they just moved to a new office and the facility for the external group for user groups and other stuff is actually, I think, the same size or slightly smaller than it was. You know, but again, it's a sales office. It's, it's not a full NTC. Yeah. Um, but they are you know, great resources, especially if you're looking to do an event, work with your Microsoft you know, leads, uh, whether it makes sense to, to have it there, especially if it's, if it's not a, uh, a vendor-specific thing and it's a community effort. Microsoft has is, is gotten much better, as you know, um, being inside and outside, Microsoft has gotten much better at working with and supporting a lot of those community efforts. And, uh, you know, it's, there's really no excuse for people not to be kind of up to date and be aware of what's happening in your region. Just plug in, pay attention. Yeah, and again, those largely, as you know, those community events are largely run by our customers and our partners, so we like to participate in them. Um, but like, again, with Teams Thursday, it's largely being led by and for the community. So we love to sponsor it and be part of it, but we really want it to be owned by the community. And that is one of the things that I think has made SharePoint so successful is the SharePoint Saturdays and the community really uh, embracing the technology and allowing us to come along for the ride. Well, so Chris, people want to find out more about you, get in touch with you, uh, maybe stop by your home for lunch or something. Now, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So I'm very active on, on LinkedIn uh, as well as Twitter. So you can follow me at C Bortlick. It's C-B-O-R-T-L-I-K. I also have a blog on Medium that you can access at aka.ms slash Bortlick blog. And uh, Christian, always great talking with you. Always great talking to you as well. And we'll see you soon. Take care.